The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Jesus showed himself again to the disciples. It was by the Sea of Tiberias, and it happened like this. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two more of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. They replied, we'll come with you. They went out and got into the boat, but caught nothing that night. It was light by now, and there stood Jesus on the shore, though the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus called out, have you caught anything, friends? And when they answered no, he said, throw the net out to starboard and you'll find something. So they dropped the net and there were so many fish that they could not haul it in. The disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. At these words, it is the Lord. Simon Peter, who had practically nothing on, wrapped his cloak round him and jumped into the water. The other disciples came on in the boat, towing the net and the fish. They were only about a hundred yards from land. As soon as they came ashore, they saw that there was some bread there and a charcoal fire with fish cooking on it. Jesus said, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter went abroad and dragged the net to the shore, full of big fish, 153 of them. And in spite of there being so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. None of the disciples were bold enough to ask, who are you? They knew quite well it was the Lord. Jesus then stepped forward, took the bread and gave it to them. And the same with the fish. This was the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after rising from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful encounter, isn't it? It's tremendously intimate. Very brotherly, too. I mean, what could be more fraternal than going out fishing and then having a barbecue on the beach? It's, it's a lovely image of Jesus sharing in this ongoing brotherhood with his closest friends, those who he drew deepest into his mission. Jesus has others that are very, very close to him. You know, the Gospels are, I guess, very faithful to point out that the first witnesses were the women, these people who, in fact, were not giving way to their fear or giving way to their doubt or their, I don't know, discontent with how life seems to have turned out. Their Messiah has died and now things are even more confusing than ever. But in fact, faithfully, they're there, and Jesus reveals himself to them, his sisters. And then he says, go and call my brothers, <laughs> wherever they are. You know, um, it seems to me that our chief proclamation in the world is not so much that the resurrection happened. And over the past week, I've been looking at that fact. The resurrection happened, it's historical. We have good evidence, and, and to put the evidence in front of you is tremendously compelling. And then to put the counter evidence in front of you is tremendously, um, well, I'd say it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing the kind of things that are suggested um, to avoid the resurrection. Um, and, and, and really, that's the problem, that um, at the outset, resurrection isn't possible. So any explanation is more probable than a God coming and dwelling with us and then suffering death, being buried and, and being raised. 
But anyway, that's only really part of our proclamation. It's an important part, but it's not the whole part. Christianity is not an intellectual argument. That's not the crux of, of, of our religion. We're not just philosophers walking around teaching the world. Think of the very model of the teacher himself, who doesn't just stand on the parapet all day and you know, berate us with, with wisdom. I suppose Jesus could do that if he wanted to, but that's not what he does. His chief teaching is not in what he says, but in how he acts, how he's present to us. Some of his most profound lessons have been how he's embraced those who seem unembraceable, pushed to the margins by society, by any standard that we could come up with. Um, there's that beautiful image, obviously, on Holy Thursday of him washing the disciples' feet. And he says, unless I do this, you can have nothing in common with me. It's not enough for me to teach you about the kingdom of God. I have to enact it upon you. I have to sort of immerse you into it so that your whole being changes. You're now a different creature. You belong to a whole different order of being. Therefore, our, our primary proclamation is not historical intellectual arguments, even though I think that's very important and I'm putting a lot of energy into that myself. It's not that Jesus has risen, but it's what the resurrection has done in our lives. Like a yeast, it somehow turned us different. You know, it's, 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 it's affected a transformation in us, in the world. There's a book by um, a historian, Tom Holland. The book is called Dominion. And it's a beautiful book. It's a historical book, you know, and, and I think... In his writing it, Tom has come to the faith. I don't know if he's Catholic or Christian, but he's, he's certainly very fond of the Catholic faith. Um, and Dominion is a book where he traces all of the things in the Western world that we hold as so valuable. The dignity of, of the unborn, of children, of women. Uh, care necessary for the poor, the frail. Um, you know, our autonomous rights. Like every person's inalienable dignity and rights. All of this stuff... Tom makes a pretty compelling case that if not for the church sort of plowing the earth and slowly bringing this fruitfulness around, where would these values have come from? They certainly weren't in ancient Rome before Christianity uh, transformed that place. And, um, and here we are today, still, still experiencing the effect of the resurrection of the risen Lord in our lives. Um, last night I was at a parishioner's house and we were watching The Chosen and we were a few episodes back, but we were watching that one where Jesus is sitting around the table with his friends, not unlike this little episode in Galilee. And he's sitting with them and he's saying, if you put new wine into old wineskins, what happens? And they say, well, this thing's become brittle and coarse and it'll burst. And Jesus says, yes. New wine must go into new wineskins. And he looks at them as if, you know, you get it, fellas? And, and all of them are, are not getting it. <laughs> And so he has to break it down. And obviously this is where the, where the show departs from the text of the scriptures. But he gives some commentary. And he says, the way of life that I'm introducing into the world will not be contained in the structures previously set up. It's a, the kingdom of God doesn't fit. Um, we have to be immersed in it. Because it's going to implode everything. It's going to bring the whole thing down. Um, in, in a kind of happy ruin. It's wonderful. It's the passion on, on a great scale. So I want to invite us 
in these days, in these most joyful, beautiful days. Allow the resurrection to burst your old way of life. Just let the whole thing be shattered. Allow the former foundations to crumble, because as we sang in that psalm, Christ is now the cornerstone on which this building stands eternally. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's a heavenly reality that's broken in, and it's inviting the whole world into that. Our proclamation is one where the risen Lord can be seen in our lives. We become witnesses of the Spirit, active, fruitful. Works of mercy flow out of us like a faucet for the world to see. Let's simply invite the risen Lord into our lives again. I can't emphasize enough, as much as I love the intellectual life, Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a social regime. It's an encounter with a God who is with us. Let's encounter the risen Lord today.